How did he slip under the radar? How did he get all these guns? This celebration of the 17-year-old who violently threw an egg at him. I mean, why are we celebrating him? He was clearly looking for his moment of fame as well, and that's exactly the sort of thing that creates these horrible, horrible acts. And they take our attention off the main game, which is we should be grieving with New Zealand. The one bit of advice he ever gave me, you've got to get on the back. It's got to get on the back, as in the back page. Only and really good advice, and sometimes it's as simple as that. I thought you meant you've got to get on the back, like taking a mark. You've got to get on the back of somebody to rise higher above them. I was looking at the footy metaphor there. Walking into the MCG, just yeah. th- there's nothing better. Loved one of the signs of the protest the children was carrying. IKEA has better cabinets than we do. This friend of mine sat down with this young man and they started having a conversation and it was amazing and he's giving him all this great advice. Ten minutes into the conversation, another young man walks over and said, look, are you such and such? And this person said, yes, he goes, you've actually meant to be meeting me. <laughs> He was mentoring the wrong person. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome everybody to episode seventy-seven of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. We're back in our some of sort of semi-regular time slot with my dear friend and partner in crime, Corrie Perkin. Welcome, Corrie. With a voice this week, Caro. We're both talking well. Yes, there was a bit of... Um, bit of oh, too much overindulgence at the wedding. We received a little bit of flack from a few people for our lack of professionalism last week, Corrie, so I take that on board. Um, as always, we try and talk about and celebrate the light and mourn the shade in life, and obviously this is a terrible week after the events in Christchurch last Friday. It's also in Melbourne a wonderful time to be alive because autumn's in the air. Miss Jane's brought in her ginger plant that, unlike mine, have not been eaten by possums. Footy is about to start. Corrie is going to give us her final eight. This will be good. Looking forward to that, Corrie. There's always a slight condescension in the tone of your voice when you talk about me in football. Can I just remind listeners that I was the first female football writer in Australia and I am a former editor of the footy record, so my credentials are pretty good. Thank you, Caro. I bet you the brown and gold are in there somewhere. Uh, Corrie um, is completely back in form. He has got a recipe which sounds wonderful. He's read a wonderful book and I've been to the movies. We're also going to talk about mentoring. We're obviously going to briefly try and make some sense, if it is at all possible, about what happened last week. I've got a crush. I've got a GLT, which, sorry, everyone, it is health-related. And we're going to check up on how the battle for Corrie's sponge is faring. Yes, indeed. And uh, I just want to – I've got an apology, Caro. Mandy Wildsmith, remember lovely Mandy from Hardy Grant, my book rep, who came on a few weeks ago? She reminded me very kindly that Pope Joan in Brunswick closed last year. So remember we were talking about your Clem's recipe? The the Matt Wilkinson salad. Correct. Sadly – He does – has a salad book. I did the slow-cooked lamb. Correct. Well – he, uh, they closed Pope Joan last year because they, um, they're the owners of the building sold it for a high-rise development. So everybody in the Brunswick region have been mourning. Of course, the news didn't get to me, I'm afraid. So sorry about that. And I would also just like to send a cheerio to all the lovely messengers who have been visiting the bookshop in recent weeks. There have been quite a few of you. A number of you have asked about the wedding. And a lady on the weekend asked if she could see the photographs, which I thought was really <laughs> sweet. Which, of course, with 
just such joy. Of course, I brought out my you camera, my, my phone, and I showed her a few. But um, particularly wanted to say good day to Ros Betts from Geelong, who agreed with us a few weeks ago. Caro, do you remember after summer we were saying not another panaforte left in the cupboard from Christmas? Ros Betts said, I'm with you on the panaforte problem, girls, and she has four apparently. She doesn't know what to do with. Oh, I finally turfed mine a couple of weeks ago. The box was so pretty, but I never did make that bread and butter pudding. I oh. never did dip it in to champagne. There's just something about them. They lurk around your pantry. Speaking but, um, of... Sorry, uh, go on. And I was just going to say hello to Alice, my cousin through marriage, who is a nurse at the Hamilton Hospital. And although she's only 25, Caro, which is a younger member of our listening audience, she loves our podcast. She loves our recipes and books in particular. So I just wanted to say hi, Alice, uh, and um, loved seeing you a couple of weeks ago up there. And um, I think that's all a, I Would have. that be a cousin once removed? <laughs> <laughs> I never know how many removes. Are, do, uh, somebody has to draw a plan of cousins once or twice removed to me. Is removed, in other words, for marriage? No, it's uh, it's another word for generation. Oh, so, okay. So you're so you and me are first cousins. You have a child, and that child is my first cousin. Once, once removed. removed, yes. <laughs> and That's what a, does it mean? Well, removed. It's a, it's a generational from this thing. generation. It's a funny old-fashioned word like expectations. Um, can I apologise? Speaking of weddings, to my dear, our dear friend Sal Sal Loder, who a few weeks ago I said was married at Burnham Beaches. Completely wrong. Not married at Burnham Beaches at all. A friend of hers had been married at Burnham Beaches. She, in fact, was married at Mietta's. Remember the one? Well, you would have been at the wedding. Sally, I'm so sorry. If I'd been in the podcast that day and not Anna and Rose in my shoes, I would have picked her up, dare I say, gleefully. Well, Sal was a little bit offended. She said, I'm really surprised Corrie didn't pick you up. And I said, well, Corrie, in fact, wasn't Wasn't there. Wasn't it? No, I was It was her daughter, Alex, over in London who picked it up. I did go to Jez and Kate's weddings at Burnham Beaches in the 80s, and they were Fantastic, and in fact, I had a an away the week before my will was born thirty years ago uh, as a very pregnant, um, just almost almost ready to have the baby, but went to Burnham Beaches, loved it then, and I'm sure it's still lovely. But no, well, Sally, from the Sally shop was, was married going, at Mietta's. I know, twit. I know, I completely mucked it up. Um, um, and Anna from the op shop was going to went to that wonderful exhibition there. So there you go. Um, we want to thank, of course, our wonderful sponsor, the Interchange Bench. And if you do know someone who needs first class temporary or contact ta- contract talent, please call the Interchange Bench or recommend them to a friend who is stressing about their staffing issues. They can assist with any professional level role in any industry or sector. You'll find links in the show notes or simply head to their website, which is very simply www www.interchangebench.com.au Thanks to Paper Pins on Instagram who loved our books and screen tips, really enjoyed Graham Norton's book, thought the fashion and laughs on on Mrs. Maisel are wonderful. Have you caught that yet, Corrie? No, Caro. No, I haven't. Have you done your one-month free subscription to Amazon? No, it's well, worth it. Well, there has been a bit of uh, negativity toward Amazon, people saying that we shouldn't, in fact, be supporting an organisation that doesn't pay tax here in Australia. So I'm not sure whether I will join the Amazon free offer like and, you have. Well, it's worth it to see this show. She also loves Dairy Girls, thinks it's a riot, and wants a photo of us both at Will and Lib's wedding. But sadly, I don't think I was. In, I don't think I posed for any photos, unlike me. I'm no photos, so no can do. <laughs> It's not like you. And our new friend, Bridget Nile, who we met at the football last year and who Anna from the Op Shop told about the podcast. And Anna from the Op Shop has now become great friends with. She um, is loving our podcast. Um, 
But he just wanted to make the point about the number 77 and George Pell. Not only, as he points out, is George Pell 77, but so too is Ida Buttrose, who's about to become the chair of the ABC. And so too is Bernie Sanders, who's thrown his name into the 2020 presidential race. And go. so too is one of so our favourites, Bob so Dylan. <laughs> Although, having seen him perform recently, he's He good, does look 77. But he does sound his age. Uh, well, look, all power to the older folk in our community, but I think our point was, or well, certainly um, Peter Kidd in the county court's point was that there's not a lot of uh, years to be had of fun in George Pell's life. So, um, no, no. And um, and just um, for, for Mel Hoare, who got in touch on Facebook, we are launching a footy tipping competition this week. And, Corey, we're also going to tip for the AFLW preliminary finals, the very poorly scheduled final series by the AFL over the next two weeks. So thank you, Mel. And Jane is, in fact, going to create our very sh- – it's our very own Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast footy tipping comp. You'll be able to tip with us, Corey. Each round, I feel some really, some real gamesmanship coming on. <laughs> well, but what if we only have four people who join? Oh, I suppose you and I and Jane can have fun. I couldn't care less as long as I beat you. <laughs> oh, just, just remind, can we just remind people, Miss Jane, who won the footy tipping last year? Corey? Yes. <laughs> A good local tip. Jane, don't look nervous. She's not going to hit you. A good it's local the truth. tip. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you're right. You, did, you had a great year of tipping and I had a poor one. Um, a good no, local tip. No, let's just say I had a great year of tipping. No, no, but I really did have a poor one. I came about 10th in the age as well. But you, you, Corrie, you had a great year of tipping. <laughs> Take the compliment. Um, what was I going to say? Good local tip. I don't tip. know. Good local tip in round one, tip the home teams, except Richmond is not the home team. Okay, the not now, not now. So, How's your goal of the month going, Corrie? Okay, the March challenge for me is to um, bake a sponge cake. Thank you to the potties who have sent in their recipe uh, suggestions, including Michelle Davis, 57, who said on Instagram, Corrie, if you're going to make your first sponge, make the cornflour custard powder version a winner. It's so easy. Thanks for that, Michelle Davis, 57. I'm not sure what to do here because Mandy, who we mentioned before from Hardy Grant, her darling, darling dad, Bruce, who was 87, died a couple of weeks after she was here as our guest, which was really sad. And it's really knocked her and her mum, Josie, and her brother around, as you can imagine. But anyway, uh, the upside, I suppose, or the good news is that Josie is a very fine sponge cake maker. And she and Mandy have offered to give me the sponge cake recipe, of course, that Bruce would have loved and adored. And so I'm going to bake it in their honour. And I think I might do it this weekend, Caro, because you might be coming over on Saturday to have a little glass of champagne and maybe some sponge cake. And I think you and I might be reviewing um, a film from the French Film Festival next week. We might be doing that. Which will be fun. Why would so, we be having a drink, Corrie? Is oh, there... no, no reason. Just I think there might be a birth, birthday in the air. <laughs> you are not. Don't be ridiculous. Um, but anyway, I wanted to thank Josie uh, and Mandy for being so generous and lots of love to you girls uh, as you um, as you repair and mend after losing your beautiful Bruce. And uh, so that's my challenge, Carol. It's happening this weekend and I'm getting ready for it. Well, I'm walking to as many places as I can. And I tell you what. In your new raincoat that you bought in February. (laughs) I I wish I was wearing my new raincoat, but unfortunately Melbourne, where we're living, is very, very dry, unlike areas further north. Um, Corrie, Melbourne is 
really is a city under construction, as I said, and it is so much easier to walk everywhere and the weather's absolutely beautiful. I'm averaging 10,000 steps this week. You'll be happy to hear. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, Now, to move on to matters grave, over the weekend, obviously, we found out that the death toll from Christchurch had risen to 50. Um, All Obviously, Brenton Tarrant is... um, being seen now as a lone gunman, the houses of both his mother and sister in northern New South Wales, the sister lives near Coffs Harbour, Harbour, the mother near Yamba, have been raided to try and make sense and understand what led this man to create this heinous tragedy, um, to kill so many people. How did he slip under the radar? How did he get all these guns? I mean, obviously, we know New Zealand's gun laws are going to change. It's sad to hear that panic buying is breaking out around the country. Um, among all the dreadful stories, Corrie, there were always wonderful ones too. The Muslim Australians who've flown over to help wash the bodies, the volunteers who were helping to dig, that wonderful group of school kids who performed that impromptu haka yesterday in love but also in grief and anger. It, that actually brought me to tears more than anything else. And um, it's just been quite heartening over the last few days to watch what school students and young people around the world are doing. I, I loved the the um, demonstration against climate change. I can't believe that both Australia's leaders commented on the fact they should have been at school. Thank heaven somebody is telling our leaders we have to do something. But getting back to New Zealand... Um, I loved, one of, I loved one of the signs of the protest the children was carrying. IKEA has better cabinets than we do, which I thought was yeah, very, that, that was quite good. funny, wasn't it? Last week, Jacinta Ardern has obviously spoken completely appropriately and quite heroically in in terms of you know what leadership needs to be. I think, and her message to Donald Trump when he called her up, and she just said, "We just need to love and cherish our Muslim communities." I mean. Her message has been about love and what we're trying to do now, and I I don't know how it can happen, but leaders around the world are being urged to do something about these so-called dark corners of social media and the internet that helps inspire these nutters, these crazy, horrible, hateful people. Well, the interesting thing, Caro, is that the, the term lone wolf we have to look at because we can say that he was a lone wolf because there was nobody by his side. But in fact, he was part of an online community, which had subsets yep. within Facebook that they couldn't find. So they're so they're uh, far right extremists, and we should probably look at them as leaders have said. We should look at them as a force of on their own, as a, as an individual terrorist unit. And how do we combat that? The trouble is, is that there are so many um, people in politics on the far right who have been too slow to condemn these people over the years. And in fact, when some words of presidents, prime ministers and other leaders have been slightly misinterpreted, I'm thinking of Donald Trump here, I'm thinking of people like Peter Dutton and so on, over the years have been, you know, used for these, for this kind of political cause. Suddenly our body politic is involved in what should have been uh, negated, should have been rubbed out years ago, and it's complicated. It's complicated because it's now an us and them. And the big message, I think, uh, that came out of New Zealand, as Jacinda Ardern said in one of her most eloquent speeches, and there have been a few, I have to say, she just said, you are us to the Muslim community, and they are not. And 
I think that, that that comes with complications because we actually have to get into this community of white supremacists to sort of work out how does it work? Who are the leaders? Which countries are they based in? Uh, where, where's this being fueled from? And a lot of people are saying it's all coming from France. Not sure about that. But we need to, as a global community, start working against this group uh, as uh, you know, as we have in any other sort of war situations or terrorism situations. And to think that Brent and Tarrant spend time travelling around the world, around the Middle East, Europe. Europe, a lot to, of time in Europe. To, to seek stories of historical Christians versus Muslim, Muslim battles. It, it, look, it, it's frankly terrifying. And I can't I, believe that nobody in his circle was aware of this activity. I mean, if the family and friends have said, oh, we thought he just went off travelling, well, surely somebody in the community or somebody on Facebook must have been alerted to the fact that this guy was a high risk. I know the the, the owner of the New Zealand gun shop where he bought his, I think, four um, weapons. We had five, I think. Was yep. it five? Mm. Um, it, it, he, he has been, of course, cleared by police and so on. He, he un, unknowingly put all this together. But where's the register? Where's the – we have computers now. Where's, this, where's the stuff that kind of collates this? And the other thing that deeply concern, is concerning is that the video, the live stream, now that Facebook is doing live stream, it is impossible to stop an upload because an upload just happens. But it's the downloading so why did it take so long for no, nothing to register with the powers that be, be they Facebook or be they a government organisation or just a group of uh, tech nerds who are working out of Stanford University in California? I don't know, but whoever's watching the algorithms, why did nobody say, hang on, we've got a problem here? Well, there, there, there needs to be a collective international response. Uh, uh, we, we don't need to say too much more. Clearly, Sky News in showing so much of that vision, I think, made a, a grave mistake. And Carol, can I ask you where you stand on Wally? Ali's uh, editorial. I don't know whether you saw his uh, yeah, I did. speak to camera on the project on Friday night. I did. I mean, it, it, do, do you believe that Scott Morrison made those comments in 2010? I mean, I, it, they were leaked at the time and, and since by another cabinet member that he talked about the fact that this should be something that their government, li the Liberals should target. Um, anti-Muslim sentiment and multiculturalism and immigration. I think Julie Bishop shut down the conversation and said we hope have an open door policy. This is what was leaked, has been repeatedly leaked. It does sound pretty credible. Morrison is vehemently denying it. So is Peter Dutton. I think interestingly, Tony Abbott, after some terrible speeches in the past about Islamophobia, is now saying we need to have a renewed a renewed attitude to this. I mean, he seems to be doing a bit of a mea culpa. Um, I understand why Waleed made the speech. Um, there are some who will say there's just more divisions created as a result, but I, he felt the need to call it out. I'm not. I, I think what the, the most angry thing that the thing, thing that's made me the most angry in terms of multimedia response is the fact that Fraser Anning needed to say anything. That he has these media advisors who think it's all right to come out and make the comments he did, and then this celebration of of the seventeen year old who violently threw an egg at him. I mean, why are we celebrating him? He was clearly looking for his moment of fame as well, and that's exactly the sort of thing that creates these horrible, horrible acts. And they, and they take our, our attention off the main game, which is we should be grieving with New Zealand. As you said before, the offers of help and love across the 
you know, across the waters is, is um, and the fact that some of our Muslim leaders have gone over there to, to help with the families. And I mean, there's, there's, there are so many kind of good stories, if you like, that come out of a, a shocking situation like this. Tragedy, can, you know, can bring with it good things. And yet we seem to be focused on the minutiae of the bad things. But I, look, I, I, um, I, I found uh, Walid Ali's, just to finish quickly, uh, his commentary for me, it cut through. It cut. It absolutely cut to the heart of what this was all about on many different levels, on many different issues. And he has a good, a big audience, and he has a primarily younger audience. And I think it's really important that, however they hear those messages, particularly from somebody who is a practicing Muslim, the more messages like that, the better. He's such a good role well, well, model. Th- there's no doubt that um, the government, for a long period, focused on and saw this as a, a well. It was frankly a dog whistle. It was a dog whistle to try and unearth a sentiment in people that hates migrants and immigrants of a certain type. And that is absolutely horrible. And we've heard them this week on Talkback Radio. And the more I'm happy to shout about it well, get, until get, the cows get, come Get home. up and all of the other organisations are, 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 and Labor are saying that they're going to, you know, put um, Pauline Hanson and, and different bods, you know, last on their tickets. Pauline Hanson uh, has... Who refused to censure Fraser Anning the other day. The only person who seems to censure him is the Qantas Chairman's Club. He can't can't get me... He just can't get me started. But if he is charged, if Fraser Anning is charged against uh, the Egg Boy, um, I just wonder what the rules and regulations are of of, uh, politicians who carry convictions. I'm not sure um, whether they have to leave Parliament or not, but there must be a way to get this man. Maybe we just vote as... (laughs) That's our democratic right in May. We can vote all of these people out. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the AFL as it does in these times, showing some leadership. We saw the GWS women's team wear black armbands last week. They have a Muslim player in their ranks. Richmond, of course, have one as well in Basha Hawley. And then there's Ahmed Saad at... Um, at Essendon, Adam Saad, and he and all those players have been asked for comments. Some are happy to comment, some aren't. But I think that there will be something at the first AFL game of the season between Richmond and Carlton where some statement is made as to this horrible, horrible incident. Now, Corrie, over the months and years, people have often said to me how you've been a wonderful mentor to them. And, oh, have um, they? Yeah, well, you know that, and you know people, and you like me occasionally catch up for a cup of coffee or a conversation, or you don't even know you're doing it with someone who rings up and says, "Will you talk to someone?" or "Will you talk to me?" or "I'm just starting out in this industry or that industry," and often young women, but also with me, young men, and I'm sure you, young men as well. I've found in the last month, I've just been to a lot of you know functions, season launches you know, from the AFL, the AFL Players Association, football clubs. And it seems that everywhere I turn, people have said, would you speak to this young woman or that young woman? And they don't want to be the next Caroline Wilson. They want to be the next them. And, you know, I'm always happy to do it. But it's a complex, um, it's a multi-layered task, isn't it, mentoring? Well, I think the first thing for It's intangible. The first thing that we all have to remember if we're ever asked to be a mentor, and I'm not saying this about you and I'm not saying this about me, but you have to be careful that your ego doesn't get involved here because it's very flattering. It's very flattering. And I have seen people... Do you think? Well, yeah. Sometimes I I think, am I I finished? Am I over the hill? (laughs) No, I'm thinking of one person I know in particular who seems to... um, get a bit of an ego boost from the fact that um, she is asked quite regularly to be a mentor. 
and I'm not sure entirely of the, whether that's the correct motivation for this. The problem is also that these days it's so hard for uh, younger folk to really crack into their career of choice in the first instance when they want it. That networking and people and contacts are really important. And a couple of times I have felt in recent times that I have been perhaps a bit used, that the mentoring hasn't been sincere on the part of the person who's asked me to mentor. Yep, I've experienced that, absolutely. And I feel a bit... I feel a bit... um, sad afterwards. I can't explain how I feel. I feel a bit like, oh, well, that was, did I just waste my time and give my contacts away and now I'm useless? I don't know where, I don't know what the purpose of it was. Look, good mentoring, and I have been mentored too, and I hope I continue to be mentored. Um, but it didn't, it didn't used to be articulated so much when we were young, did it? I mean, no. you, you had people you spoke to and or you realise, you look back and you go, well, I guess they were what is now called a mentor, but it wasn't really called that at the time. It wasn't defined. No. And, and in fact, I have, uh, I can recall um, Pamela Bone, who used to work at The Age, who, when I was a younger journalist, I ended up being one of her editors. Um, but I dear departed Pamela uh, Bowen. Yes, oh, and such a beautiful writer, and such a woman of compassion. But when I started, when Pam and I were court reporters, when she first came to the age as a um, married young, or ma- uh, sorry, divorcee with a couple of kids, and I was about twenty, I guess. And but she was, cl- I mean, clearly the senior journalist, and she went on to things, and I sort of plodded through the chain of command, and eventually, you know, got to some position of authority. And I can remember saying to her at some point. Would you be my mentor? Because I'm not sure I'm getting the feeling of, um, I'm not sure I've got the balance of how to boss someone and, and tell them off or reprimand them one minute and be their friend the next. Because suddenly when you made an editor or in a position, you suddenly made management, the, you can't, you, your friendship group changes because you're no longer on the same level as all the gang, you know, and I was having a lot of trouble with that. Yeah, and they can, you can't let them take advantage of you. No, no, but you've still got to be, now you're their boss and you're actually earning more than them and so it's not, it's no longer an equal relationship and I found that a bit difficult and Pam had great advice but I actually asked her to be my mentor and I have been asked in the past, you know, would you be my mentor? And I think that it is a very sincere and logical way to go about it so you both know what the relationship is but if somebody says, oh, can you just point me in the right direction of a few great contacts? I'm not so interested in that. No, no. Well, uh, within reason. Like if it was Ned, you know, my darling godson, your son or somebody, of course, and you've done that for Will and, and I'd do that for Miss Jane's Huey, you know, in 20 years' time. I mean, that's what we would do with friends and people we love. But when it's a person you've never met before, and how many times, Carol, have I been asked, oh, I'd love to meet Caroline Wilson, and I'm thinking, mm, well, I wonder if that's worth it and it's going to be mutually beneficial or whether that's just a, you know, leg up. Three three quick humorous points on mentoring. People always say how wonderful it was to follow in the footsteps as a young journal at the Herald of Mike Sheehan. The one bit of advice he ever gave me, you've got to get on the back. It's got to get on the back, as in the back page. Only adv- and really good advice, and sometimes it's as simple as that. Second one I is... I thought you meant you've got to get on the back, like taking a mark. You've got to get no. on the back of somebody to rise <laughs> higher above them. I was looking at the footy metaphor there. Really good advice. So I think you might have said lose that old op shop coat as well at one stage. And, um, I, and I'm meeting a young woman in footy in a few weeks for a cup of coffee, which reminded me of a friend of mine who mentors a lot of people and relishes the role and loves it and has done a very good job in this area. And they were walked into a coffee shop a few years ago in London to meet someone that they had agreed to meet and be a mentor. 
And this friend of mine sat down with this young man and they started having a conversation and it was amazing and he's giving him all this great advice. Ten minutes into the conversation, another young man walks over and said, look, are you such and such? And this person said, yes. He goes, you're actually meant to be meeting me. (laughs) He was mentoring the wrong person. And he's become a mentor to the other one as well now. Isn't that fantastic? So what did the mentoree who wasn't meant to be the mentor? What were they thinking? This is, this is wonderful. What a Just lovely this person. Popped he's into my life. Giving me all this great advice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's mentoring. That's now, we need to move you on. You could actually do a mentoring speed dating, couldn't you? So you could have all the mentors and then all the mentorees come in. And if you don't like you after five minutes, you move on to the next one. You know what would happen? There would be 35 people around your table and I'd be sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Mentors come in all shapes and sizes. Um, Caro, our crush of the week, and you have one, and I can't wait to hear who it is, but I do want to uh, acknowledge our sponsors of this particular segment, the Interchange Bench. Apparently last week, it might have been the studio that we had, Jane, which was the temporary boardroom here. Apparently I was going Interchange Bench, so it sounded a bit like I didn't have my clackers in or something. I don't know. (laughs) Really? I am ageing. As I told you, it's my birthday. I'm going to articulate now properly. Thanks to the Interchange Bench. If you or someone you know needs first-class temporary or contract talent, make sure you contact the Interchange Bench. They can assist with any professional level role in any industry or sector. And don't just think about, you know, what comes to mind, the admin role or the receptionist or something. In any area, they can give you a hand. Uh, We highly uh, recommend their services. Cara, who is your crush? Shane Healy. Now, oh, go, from old three AW days. Go with me on this one. The former, I'm gonna, well, I'm trying. The former three AW boss, nice man, who is now um, working in a senior role in the Catholic Church in Victoria, he, head of media, and obviously it's been a would have been a pretty tough time for him work wise. Shane is a committed Catholic, as is his beautiful wife Burn. Um, Bernadette, they, Shane turned 60 last week and I went to his 60th over the weekend, a beautiful night in Seaside, Victoria, just a, what a gorgeous series of weekends we've been having, just celebrating this lovely weather and lovely occasions. How many times can you and I dance to Eagle Rock? Did he play Eagle Rock? No, but they had a really good band who turned out one of the band members Shane taught many years ago because Shane was a teacher. He also considered at one time becoming a priest. Um, he and Byrne, when you talk to them about their Catholic faith and what's happened, uh, George Pell married them many years ago. When you talk to them about how they how they have um, come to terms with what is happening in the Catholic Church and their own faith, it is quite inspiring to understand what faith really is to people who still believe and who still love their religion and who still pray and who still believe and worship. And yet, obviously totally, totally shattered uh, uh, shattered mm. by some of the events that have happened. Anyway, Shane turned 60 and I just want to pay tribute to a man whose glass is not only half full, as someone said to me on the night, but it is actually running over. I've never met anyone more positive than Shane Healy. Remember when he used to call footy with Rex Hunt? So excited. The kid. He was a brilliant football caller, underrated, went over to work for Perth for a while, many, many, many years ago, apparently at 3AW. He was working um, in some sort of cadetship volunteer role and they said it's time to let you go. And he said, well, I'll continue to work for free. He refused to go. And he ended up climbing the ranks and becoming one of the great leaders there. A great, well, 
Well, yes, a mentor to me, in fact, has been very, very supportive of me in times, in tough times when, you know, I was working there with young kids, etc. So he is my crush of the week. Happy Shane birthday, Shane. Healy. And to see his three sisters and their partners sing this hysterical song about him on Saturday night to the tune of um, Country Road, Take Me Home, was just very, very funny. So he's uh, my crush of the week. Well, it, that's a very good crush. Uh, and, I, yeah. and I just wondered, you've just mentioned something I meant to ask you last week. Your husband, Brendan, was uh, raised a Catholic. Does he have particular views on what's been happening with George Pell and the broader Catholic Church issue? Oh, complete disgust. And he has for a long time. Very early in his journalistic career, when we were having children, Brendan did a lot of work with um, victims of sexual assault within the Catholic Church. He did a lot of stuff with um, broken rights. And his view is, is he, he is just so horrified mm. by from from Rome down, from the Vatican down, about the way they have, from George Pell's appointment in Rome, from the way Rome has refused to move with the times in so many different areas, and to the tre- to, to what happened in Ballarat, which just remains one of the more horrifying parts of our local history. So no, he's. He's very, very anti the Catholic um, Church now. But on a more cheerful note, well, actually, it's not a particularly cheerful book to kick off BSF. But have, William, you, read, have you read this one? I ha- I haven't read the story of Lucy because Gold, it was one. Of I have the, one read of the few by William Trevor. Well, one of the book clubs that you are in with me, or that I run, and you're part of, we actually did this as the book, the last book of last year. Yes, and I I had a sneaking suspicion that you hadn't read it. I'm not no, sure why. No, I've read. Um, no, well, I didn't go to that book club. I've read a few by William Trevor. He's a beautiful writer, lyrical, and he writes small but very moving stories. So you're going to tell us about the story of Lucy Gold. The, sto- the story of Lucy Gold. William Trevor, as Cara said, 20th century Irish master. He was nominated five times for the Booker Prize. He died maybe three years ago and he lived a long life. So he pretty much bookended the 20th century. And he did win the Whitbread Prize, which is now known as the Costa. He did win that three times. This book, uh, The Story of Lucy Galt, is is an incredibly moving and very sad book, but just, oh, so worth the journey. Uh, It's Ireland 1921, Caro, and the Galt family are living a life of privilege on a big estate. Uh, Captain Galt, Captain Everard Galt, is British by birth, but uh, he is the big landowner in this area. And it is a tense time in Ireland. Of course, it's the early days of the Troubles, Catholics versus Protestants. And the houses of the big Protestant landowners are being set on fire around the district. And this worsening violence and anti-British feeling prompts the captain um, to make the difficult decision to pack up his family and move to Ireland and uh, move to England and leave Ireland for good. And they have uh, the, the Golds have one daughter, nine-year-old Lucy. And uh, as Captain Galt and Heloise, his wife, are preparing to leave, nine-year-old Lucy is absolutely traumatised about leaving the thought about the thought of leaving her beautiful Ladan, which is the family property. And it's on the sea, and you can just sort of picture it the way William Trevor describes it. And um, it's her beloved countryside playground. And so on the day of the actual move, she runs away, hoping that her parents will will be forced into rethinking their plans and they'll stay in Ireland. A terrible and life-changing set of circumstances conspire and Everard and Eloise believe that Lucy has died and, and the ocean has something to do with that. And they are so bereft, they leave Ireland forever and they travel Europe for the next 20 years. And 
Lucy is found. And Lucy ends up living in the homestead with two old family retainers and the solicitor who visits from the village once every couple of weeks who is trying every way he can to find where the Galts have gone. He thinks he finds them in Italy, but then they've moved on. He can't, He leaves mail at places he, he apparently is trying so hard to find, but they never meet again until the end of the book. So it's just such a such a sad story of loss, um, of times changing, of Lucy's story, the peculiar but beautiful girl and young woman that she becomes. It's And it, it's just got that overlay of that whole kind of Irish thing. Um, Publishers Weekly described it better than I can. Trevor's deeply poetic sense of the Irish character and countryside, his magical evocation of the passing of time, have never been more eloquent. So that's the story of Lucy Galt, Caro, and I just picked it up the other day because I was thinking we might, another book club that we're running, we might do this one. And I realised, of course, it was Sunday afternoon, it was St. Patrick's Day, and I thought, oh, well, I'm on the topic there. Absolutely perfect choice, Corrie. Um, he is a brilliant author. Now, you have a scream. Well, I've been to the Bill Nye Scrabble movie, you as we refer to me. it. Why do you always say, let's go and see the movie, and then you go and see it without me? I'll tell you why, it's Corrie. Quite, quite rude. The I'll way tell you, you do why. That. I was waiting to save it for you because I thought you we'd do it. You said it would be my birthday present. Yeah, and then you sent a text to a group of us saying, let's go to the French Film Festival movie. Oh, no, because the Scrabble one wasn't on at our exactly. local cinema. And there I was alone. Well, well you could have said, no, let's. Scott, you could have overruled me like you usually do. There I was alone one night um, thinking, you know, I, what am I going to do with myself? And I do you know I was the... actually at home on the same night that you went to see that? Um, you could have texted me and said, come on, let's walk down to the local cinema. I think we might have been in. You what, you I think only... we might have been in different places though. Anyway, it's called sometimes, always, never, which we're doesn't always refer, in different places. Carol. It doesn't refer to. Well, we're actually, we're actually not. It doesn't refer to Scrabble. It refers to the um, what you how you should button up a suit because Bill Nye's character is a a very um, what's the word staid Merseyside tailor who runs this unbelievably beautiful shop of bespoke, bespoke outfits, but you never actually see him selling a suit. Anyway, it, the scene, it, it opens beautifully. It's an evocative scene or it's an evocative opening. A few scenes in, he and his son are staying in a very depressing B&B somewhere in Northern England with a couple who are played by Jenny Agata, who oh, you know, railway children, walkabout, yes, um, call the midwife. Um, and her husband, who's played when by... When we were young, people used to say, I looked like her. Really? Well, she's very beautiful. Think, oh, well, thanks. And she's still you, very on beautiful. Cue, on cue, Carrot. No, I think it was the size of, the, like, the big eyes thing. In fact, in fact, there's still a bit of... No, in fact, because, I mean, she's older than you and she's aged absolutely beautifully. And she she and her husband, Bill McKinnon... Unlike me. <laughs> Bill McKinnon is in... I didn't say... Why? No, what no. What's wrong just, with no, you? Just, Bill McKinnon... It's, it's the birthday. I'm a bit... Bill McKinney, who's in fact I think William McKinney, he's in um, New Tricks. But anyway, they're a they're a bereaved couple, and something has clearly happened really bad to Bill Nye and his son. You soon find out that many many years ago, the elder son walked out of the family home over an argument over a two letter word in Scrabble. In fact, the word Corrie is Z O, and we've had arguments about Z O over the years ourselves. So. Um, and Bill Nye has become a Scrabble obsessive. It hasn't made him hate Scrabble. It's made him obsessed. And he plays online Scrabble partly to, he thinks, locate, locate oh, really? his son. And um, he hustles 
this couple, Jenny Agata, or more the husband. Um, is it Tim McKinney or William McKinney? I'll have to look him up. But anyway, he, he hustles this couple who were also bereaved in some way. It turns out both pairs of people are in the same town to identify the body of a man who is being found. Jenny Agata and her husband think it is... It, think it might be their son, and Bill Nye thinks it might be his son. Is that a spoiler alert there? No, because I won't tell you whose son it is, okay. but it is one of their sons. And um, and Gosh. what happens, it's basically a story of love, loss, alienation. For no reason at all, Bill Nye then moves in with his son and his wife and their completely alienated um, computer-playing son, so his grandson. There's only one spare bed, and that's the bunk that his grandson sleeps in. So the scenes between those two men, it, it is Tim McKinney, by the way, who plays the husband of Jenny Agata. Look, it is just the most it, – it's a beautiful story. It doesn't quite get there. It's it's – Obviously, it was made on a very low budget. So it's it's a, worth, li- a little movie. Yeah, and it only goes for about an hour and a half. And tell me, does Bill Nye uh, adopt the Jerry and the Pacemakers Moosey side kind of accent, or does he just keep his lovely, He's curious Bill Nye. little voice? I the, love The movie voice. actually opens with him standing on a windswept sort of coastal scene under an umbrella, even though it isn't raining. So, and, and I suppose it, it, it's really the story in a way of the prodigal son, because although. The son's Don't gone. Don't give anything away. No, but although this son has disappeared, the other son and oh, his rises. father have yeah. have got this incredibly dysfunctional relationship. Oh, look! It, oh, I thought you were going to say they bond. Well, what happens okay, happens, okay. but it's small, Won't it's quirky, me. it's made on a low budget, which you do see at times, but it's in most of the acting performances are beautiful. So you, I would say it's worth seeing. Have you and I ever had the snippy snips over a Scrabble word? Oh. No, not really badly, I guess. <laughs> no, not. But we, yeah, we disagree on words all the time. You haven't ever walked out and never seen me again. But, no, um, no. I but can't it, recall that we've ever had a massive fight. It does. It does in, introduce a new a new pastime into the Scrabble genre, which is what Bill Nye is. Oh, okay. A Scrabble hustler. Oh, okay. He pretends he doesn't really know the rules and just plays with unsuspecting people and takes money from them. Oh, well, now you and I have discussed whether we can ever gamble on Scrabble. Well, because I would be, Oh, I must learn how he does it. It's That's quite disgraceful what he does, in fact, to this um, particular bereaved couple. But, Corrie, let's move on to food because you have a recipe. I do, Caro. So uh, it's coming along to winter or autumn and winter and... Uh, and also, dare I say, I'm off the um, the wedding diet, so I can eat this now. And it is one of my favourite recipes to cook, and it is out of the Alimentari cookbook, which came out about two or three years ago by the chefs at Alimentari uh, in Fitzroy, Linda and Paul Jones. This is a gem of a book. It's primarily salads and vegetable dishes, but there's a little, there's quite a lot more. And in fact, you've been to my house and eaten various things out of this book. It's one of my favourites. And it's still available. I know a lot of bookshops, including our own, are still selling it. Um, it's called pancetta and pea risotto, Caro. I know you're very good at a risotto. So two litres of chicken stock. Uh, they give you a recipe up the back how to do that. 125 mils of olive oil, one onion finely diced, 100 grams of pancetta cut into ladons, which is sort of those chunks. Uh, four garlic cloves. That might seem like a lot of garlic, but trust me, the garlic is a real hero here. 
370 grams of arborio rice, 150 mils of white wine, 150 grams of fresh or thawed frozen peas, 30 grams of unsalted butter and 75 grams of parmesan cheese, which you grate um, through it and then you have extra to serve. And it's pretty simple, you know, the same old way of doing the risotto, bring the stock to the boil um, over a medium heat, um, heat the oil uh, in a wide base frying pan over the medium heat and sauté the onion for about five minutes uh, until soft. Add the pancetta, the garlic, and cook for about three to four minutes until the pancetta begins to caramelise. It must start doing that because that just gives it that extra yum. Then you add the rice and you cook, stir for about two minutes until the rice is toasted and well coated with the oil. Then you add the wine, scraping any tasty sticky bits up from the bottom of the fry pan. They remind taking the us. odd sip as you <laughs> stir. Out of the bottle, not the saucepan. Uh, once most of the wine is absorbed, reduce the heat to low and add a ladle full of stock to the rice and simmer, stirring until absorbed. Add another ladle and repeat, simmering and stirring. And as we know, of Sipping course, Sipping the Cara, wine as you go. Yeah, and as we know, Caro, it is a, one of my favourite things is to listen to a late afternoon footy match or an evening footy match on the wireless. Make the risotto, stir, stir, stir. You do have to stay with your um, arborio rice potties if you haven't done risotto before. Don't leave it. Um, and then you just keep adding and adding and, you know, reducing and all of that until the rice is al dente. And this should take roughly around 20 minutes. Then you stir in the peas, you remove from the heat, mix in the butter and the parmesan and season to taste and then serve sprinkled with a little extra parmesan. And, of course, I put a few herbs on it just to give it an extra green thing. It is just the yummiest, yummiest. And I think probably the adding of the butter and the parmesan yep. is a real key there. Because we don't usually do that with I risotto, love, do we? Um, well, I th- you, the more I read Italian cookbooks, the more they seem to say that that's the thing to do. I reckon you add it, put the lid on and walk away for five minutes, have another sip oh, you're of very said game. wine. And I reckon that's when... And like, then we anything, find you asleep on the sofa and the, it, <laughs> the frying no, pans. I'm, no, I'm too hungry to eat the risotto. But anything that's left for a few minutes, including risotto, not probably not pasta, I don't know, it just seems to move from just slightly too crunchy to not that, you know, how some people turn it into porridge. Yeah, I I, I don't like that. Yeah, no, it it needs to be just perfect, but that sounds amazing. It's a great, it's a really easy recipe and a a lovely one, as I said, for autumn and winter. But please don't talk about winter. It's only still mid-March. No, and and don't get those boots out yet. I know you're tempted. No. I know you're tempted. Keep them in the cupboard, like I said last week. Now, uh, Caro, what are you grumpy about, apart from being grumpy about winter is on its way? I'm grumpy about a lot of things this week, but what I'm particularly grumpy about is that Barry Cassidy, after June this year, is no longer <gasps> going to be hosting the Insiders. Oh, I was devastated. He announced Say it at the Quills it the other night. So, yeah, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award, and I know, he, as he knows, he's got a long way to go yet in this career, but in terms of this particular life and the show he invented, along with the Offsiders that I appear here on once in a while, um, he just feels that he's no longer going to host that. He's going to get his weekends back. He, I, I reckon he'll write enough. another book. He wrote that wonderful book about his father. He did. And he um, and Heather, Heather Hewitt, her, his, his wife. Whose back roads on, show is absolutely fabulous. brilliant. And she's on the road all the time. He can go too. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not so grumpy. I, I'm I understanding. Am. I'm understanding, Baz. No, 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 I'm not. I think it's a terrible decision. You are such a fish. No, but it, it's like um, certain people, like Ross Stevenson, as I said once last year, on the, one day we're going to wake up and he won't be on breakfast radio anymore. One day, 
I thought I thought I'd never see the day that I turned on the insiders and Barry wouldn't be there to make sense of everything. He is just an absolute. I remember champion. feeling that way when Doug Asian retired from. Um, oh. ABC Radio. It is, no more Doug. Life's not the same. Oh, look, it was bad enough when he left the offsiders, even though his successes have been really good. He just somehow so has... So who, who's going to fill in? Are they going to tap on your shoulder and say, come and do... Of the insiders. Don't be ridiculous. This is a political show. You could do show. it. You could do I it. I think there are a few. I think Fra- Frank Kelly Frank Kelly will be a contender. So will Laura Tingle. It'll be interesting to see where they go. What about but- Latrioli? Yeah, could do. She could do it. She could, but she's pretty busy at the moment. Although, if she comes, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It could be Virginia. Yeah, let's keep but, watching that. Well, anyway, well, I'm sorry that I, I his, don't share his your style, but his I style of analysis, his interviewing is flawless, and I'm really sad. After this election, it'll be gone. But now, it's time for six quick questions. No, it's Corrie, not. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, I'm reading the wrong page. I just gave Jane a heart attack. It is, Corrie. <laughs> now, I gave my final eight last year. I want to hear yours. Last week. Last week, sorry. <laughs> Collingwood. Number one, yes. Richmond. Wouldn't that be a cracker of a grand final? It would. Oh, my goodness. Collingwood, Richmond, Melbourne, Adelaide, West Coast, Hawthorne, GWS, and Essendon. Is that eight? Yep, that is. And you've I did have Port Adelaide there, but I f- realised I forgot your team, so that was a bit No, dark. no. Well, Essendon is a, is a team I controversially left out. And I'm, so, I'm sorry, Hawks, that I can't put you higher. Oh, well, you've got them in. That's the I've main I've got thing. them in, and I, I think they'll give it a red-hot go. But so I you, like me, have left out Mitchell. Sydney. Is that right? I have. I just I, I felt uh, last year I felt underwhelmed by Sydney. I kept tipping Sydney to no avail. The one I was interested in, Last week you mentioned North Melbourne because you know I've always I'm always a bit of a fan and I frequently tip them. I just I'm not sure about this year. That could be the red herring. That could be the one that gets over the line and oh, fucks me up. Yeah, you know, they're they're a risk for me. They're a roughie. But anyway, we should tell people that we've got our final eights now up online. But um, we're going to be dropping weekly bonus footy tipping episodes throughout the season. If you want to join us, we've created our own Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast footy tipping competition. You'll find links on all of our social media pages and. Show notes www.tipping.aflnation.com.au and look for Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast footy tipping. Now, Caro, speaking of footy, what are you most looking forward to about the footy season? Where do Hammer- I begin? Hammering Corrie? out that column every Friday with a deadline looming. No, you know what? There's only cuffs with Hutchie on a Monday night. Walking into the MCG. Just yeah. th- there's nothing better. Um, I'm looking forward to it this Thursday. I'll be doing it again on Saturday. I'll be doing it again next next Thursday. I'll be doing it again next Saturday. There is no better place in Melbourne than the MCG. And you have no reason to be side sidelined or uh, sorry sidetracked by the um, by the donut van because you have Julia's Tupperware goodies to eat. She's already planning her chicken sandwiches for Thursday night. Anna from the op shop will be whipping up her date and walnut, no doubt. Mum's um, jacked up on soup this week, simply too warm, she says. This is a wonderful thing about what I love about Melbourne. On Wednesday night, Mum and I are going to see Cinderella at the ballet at the State Theatre and just a hop, skip and a jump. Over the bridge, we'll be trotting into the MCG. Well, I'll be trotting Not on the early. same night. The next night. 
Yes, I'll be we're dropped. not sleeping under the. No, but that's what I love about. Era. That's no, what I love about Melbourne. I mean, these two wonderful institutions it is. It's so just near great. each other. I agree. I agree. Reason for celebration. Anyway, Corey, what's your? What you couldn't have found another podcast mm. in the last week. Well, what's it's your an, it's an oldie favorite? bit of goodie. I wanted to point people in the direction of the latest episode of The Reckoning, which was that most excellent series by David Marr and the gang at the Guardian last year, looking at sexual abuse of children in institutions, and they've dropped a latest episode on the. George Pell finding. And the the reporter whose name escapes me at the moment, the wonderful Guardian reporter who was in the court, actually has this great conversation with David. I think she gets quite emotional at times too about what's going on in the court. Um, I did also just want to, so that's just dropped and you must listen to it, everybody. If you haven't heard the whole series, I urge you to. And I just wanted to say g'day to uh, one of my favourite footy podcasts, The Outer Sanctum. The girls have been going through uh, over summer, obviously, but it's really great to have them back in form. Emma Race and all the other races, Lucy and Felicity and Kate Sear and Nicole Hayes um, and Alicia. Is it Alicia? Yep. Yeah. I love you girls. You girls rock. You are my favourite footy show. And I must say that driving up to Hamilton with my son in the car, who's a bit of a footy boffin the other day, girls, I put on your latest episode of The Outer Sanctum where you were talking about the Women's League and Will just said, I haven't heard of this. I said, well, get with the program, William. Corey, they've been to my house. I've served them coffee and cakes. And you know what? You know, they they gave me, when I went on their show last year, they found the stat that every team who recruits a Rioli, this is why they tipped West Coast, who recruits recruits a Rioli three years later win a premiership. What an amazing stat. It happened at Hawthorne, it happened at Richmond. See, it takes and then a it woman at, with a brain to work that well, out. Well, Gillan McLaughlin used it at the season launch on... Um, I hope you attribute it to the Outer Sanctum Well, no, I, I think they probably got it from somewhere else too, but it was interesting. Um, okay, Caro, the new Four Weddings and a Funeral sequel, uh, which has Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant waving their baby daughter goodbye as she gets married. Um, I haven't seen it, but there's a bit of fur flying whether it works or not. Where do you stand on film sequels, and would you be going to see the sequel of this? Well, what do you reckon? Of course I'll be going to see it. That, that was a seminal film for us. Look... You know, clearly often it, it is just a lack of imagination and a dash for cash that means people make a sequel. Remember Godfather but, Part but Three? God, God, yeah, but Godfather Part Two it, it's no, generally... But, it was all, but that was always going to be, that was always in the mix. It was a two-part yes. film, remember? Francis was, Ford Coppola had as a two-part He thing. did, but it was still a sequel and it was still widely agreed to be better than the first. I loved Mamma Mia too. sorry, from the sublime to the ridiculous. But often, and, and I really enjoyed, you know, reading, I hate to say it, Death Comes to to Pemberton, you know, that sort Pemberley. of... Pemberley. sorry, the... Pemberton. Um, sorry, Pemberley, the rip-off of um, Pride and Prejudice. No, not, but, well, it wasn't a rip-off. That was someone else's sequel yeah, you know, you know, 300 they, years they, later. They did a rip... Uh, someone did a, a follow-up to Margaret Mitchell with a Gone with the Wind too. What was it called? Tara or something? Did I mean, you watch it all? Some of them are shocking, but some of... Look, they're... Why not? I must say, I must say that... Some things need to be left, <laughs> and I wonder Andy whether... Andy McDowell looks beautiful in the photo that I saw. Hugh's looking pretty old, but anyway. Yeah, he hasn't sort of... Aged as well. I, as can't, I can't talk about age this week. No, I know. It's and it's, it's, it's sexist and horrible, but he's not George Clooney in terms of ageing, is he? Anyway, <laughs> Corrie, do you keep a hard copy diary? Yes. Isn't that funny? People laugh when I bring out my hard copy diary. I now. don't care how much they laugh. You know, when I went to work at the gallery in 2003 or two or whenever it was, they had this whiz bang new thing where you synced your phone into your um, electronic doodad computer. 
and everything was supposed to sink, so no need for a diary anymore. Well, of course, about four weeks in, dare I say, I lost the password or it crashed. I did something wrong. Lost all my diary dates. Never again, Caro. Always have a hard copy. If I leave my hard copy diary at home these days or somewhere, I'm I'm bereft. Bereft. Yes, I'm glad to hear that, Corrie. Okay. GLT. What's your GLT? Well, this is something I've picked up from you or some advice you gave me about two months ago. And I'm sorry, everyone. It does have to do with health and attempted weight loss, but it's a healthy thing as well as being a weight loss thing. You know how you told me... Does this you... make me your mentor? <laughs> It makes you a very generous friend, Corrie. You know when um, you said when you get those horrible afternoon munchies, don't have an apple, don't have this, have a piece of protein. Oh, can I attribute this to Rosie, my trainer, who told me this? I'd like to think that I was, you know, God's gift to the dieting world, but this was not my own. If you've got that comes little from leftover piece of steak in the fridge or a piece of, you know, chicken breast, well, this is what I've started doing every Monday or Tuesday or even on a Sunday. It, it sort of topic the bleeding obvious, but it's such a good way to start the week healthily and have stuff in your fridge to eat when you're starving. Just go to the supermarket or your butcher and buy a really nice chicken, boil it up with, you know, bay leaves and peppercorns and bits of carrot and parsley stalks and everything you've got. Strain it once it's cold, boil it for an hour. Let the stock sit in the fridge until the fat rises to the top. Get rid of that or keep the fat on if you want to just keep it in the fridge to stay fresh or freeze it. So then when you want to make your beautiful alimentari risotto, you've got the stock in the freezer. The chicken, you break up and you just wrap it in a bit of your beeswax, you know, whatever you call it, that thing we use now to keep everything fresh. Every afternoon, if you're at home and feeling a bit hungry, you just take a little bit of chicken breast and cut it up and eat it with a bit of salt and pepper. Yeah. So, and that's your afternoon and if snack. And if you can't be bothered doing that, basically what Caro is saying is that after, or this is Rosie, any time after 2 or 3 o'clock if you're hungry, turn to protein rather than fruit or any of the other things or dairy, yogurt, whatever. Yep. And so if you're cooking lamb backstrap, lamb backstraps or you're doing uh, a piece of steak or something like that for dinner, just buy an extra one and cook it. And then it's cold in the fridge. And then the next day at 3 o'clock if you're home or if you're at work, take it to work, you just eat your protein. And best lunch ever, you can turn the chicken stock with some of said chopped up chicken into the best soup. You can make the Greek egg and lemon soup. You can just You're going to have to skim that fat off though, Carol, if you want to lose weight. Well, you just put it in the fridge and that's what happens. Then you add, or you can just buy some bean shoots and some spring onions and ginger and a bit of soy sauce or a bit of mirin and chuck all of that in and you've got a beautiful Asian chicken soup. Highly recommend it. That's Mm. my GLT. Oh, that's a good GLT. Now, please, everybody, tell your family and friends to subscribe to our podcast, send your feedback, comments, tips and suggestions. Is that it for today? I'm having a nice time. To the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Leave them laughing, Corrie. Leave them laughing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And we are about to announce, as we said, our next live podcast. Please save the date. Breakfast. April 30. More details to come. But the hints are Royal Women's Hospital and the Miracle Mums campaign. Thanks again to our show sponsor, The Interchange Bench. They can assist with any professional level role in any industry or sector. You'll find links to Interchange Bench in the show notes. We know how good it is to give someone a local tip, so recommend The Interchange Bench to someone with a staffing issue. They'll be eternally grateful. Thank you, our darling producer, Jane Neal. Did Jane put herself to be thanked in these notes or did you? (laughs) She's really getting ahead of herself. (laughs) 
and, and she has a promotion too. We'll lose her soon, you know. I know we'll lose her. I know. There we were mentoring her a year ago, and now look, that's what happens. Fluttering off into me- the sunset. With good mentories. And, and just c- leave you for dead. Next week, footy will have started. Our footy tipping competition will have started. Corrie will probably have another wonderful book. We'll both be talking French films and hopefully some happier news, Corrie. And potties, don't forget, though, that uh, you can listen to our footy tips on a little separate uh, bonus episode. So don't forget that we start it this week. And, Caro, don't shoot the messenger. Don't. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by the Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class temporary and contract talent. So when you need to get your team back in the game, call on the Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to office support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Interchangebench.com.au For talent so good, you'd wish you can keep them. Hi, this is Leanne Moriarty. Hi, I'm Anne Summers. I'm Jen Harper. Hello, this is Laura Tingle. Hi, I'm Marcus Suzak. I'm David Maher. Join me on The Book Pod. I hope you can join Corey Perkin and I on The Book Pod. And I think also people often completely underestimate if something is easy to read, they think that means it's easy to write and it's absolutely not. It's such a skill. Always, no matter how abstract the issue, you have to find the narrative and you have to find characters and around those you build the story. You know, some authors take a decade to write a book I would miss the meeting the readers. Subscribe to the book pod. Subscribe to the book pod in your favourite podcast app. Wherever you listen to podcasts.